0: Let us pray. Father God, we come before you again thanking you uh, for all that you have blessed us with. Thank you for your son. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that you wrapped yourself in flesh to come to identify with us, to save us from our sins and the wrath of God. Pray now, Lord, that you would be with us again. Help us to continuously see you for who you are. And let us worship and glory in that. So be with us in this time as we look to your word. Strengthen us. Grow us. Conform us into your likeness. We pray these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we continue our adversaries and continue to behold the glories of Christ, we will now look at the consecration of the Redeemer. And to do that, we will consider Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 17. If you will please turn in your Bible there, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Follow along as I read aloud. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus, answering him, said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw a spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, upon initial survey of this passage, I found that I never really took the time to consider the need and the importance of Jesus' baptism. I simply accepted it as a part of biblical history. However, as I begin to prepare for the sermon, I begin to see with greater clarity the necessity and the importance of Jesus' baptism. And while we will not be able to exhaust every facet of the baptism of Jesus within 15 minutes, I do hope that we can highlight just a couple of important elements as we consider the consecration of the Redeemer in His baptism. First, As we consider the consecration of Jesus, I believe that in immediate context, what we see happening here in Jesus' consecration through baptism is the public presentation of the Messiah. Now, Messiah is a Hebrew word. It means anointed one. It is the equivalent of the New Testament word, which also means anointed. It is here that Jesus is set apart as the anointed one and enabled for a special task as the one who will carry out God's plan Now, throughout the Old Testament, there were many men who had been anointed and enabled by God for a special task. Priests were anointed, prophets were anointed, and kings were anointed. And these men served a very important role between God and man. They all acted as mediators. As those that would go between God and man, who would serve as middlemen between God and man. And as these men were commissioned for the task that God had prepared for them, more often than not, there would be an official ceremony by which these men were identified identified as being specially tasked by God himself. And so it is here also in the baptism of Jesus that we see Jesus being consecrated, commissioned, set apart for the task that God had prepared for him. Jesus... Willingly submit to the task that is set before him. And as Messiah, Jesus will carry out the threefold office of priest, prophet, and king. The stark contrast, however, between these men who held these offices before Jesus is that every priest, every prophet, every king stood limited in their abilities. Limited in their mediation. Because every one of them was imperfect. Every one of them was sinful. Yet Jesus was standing as the perfect priest, the perfect prophet, and the perfect king. The perfect mediator between God and man. And the reason why Jesus is the perfect mediator, as we've seen in Chase's sermon, is because Jesus is fully God and able to act and represent as God. And he is fully man and able to represent and act as man. So, with our time, I would like to consider just one of the threefold offices of Jesus the Messiah, the one that I believe is most applicable to our text in Matthew 3, and that is the office of priest. Now, by God's grace, we will see Jesus as prophet in next week's sermon, the, word, the words of the Redeemer, and we will also see Jesus in his kingly glory and the wonder of the Redeemer. Both of these sermons slated for next Sunday. However, now as we consider the consecration of the Redeemer, particularly the office of priest, I think it is important that we establish some context and draw upon some parallels by looking first to the Old Testament. Now in Leviticus 8, we see a shadow in the type, in the type of the consecration of Aaron and his sons as priests. For they would act as mediators between God and man, offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. But their office was only temporary. Hebrews tells us in chapter 7, verse 23, that the former priests, on the one hand, existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. The former priests served the shadows. As examples of something greater, which we see the actual fulfillment of in Christ, the everlasting priest. Christ is the genuine article, the real deal, if you will. So, here in Leviticus 8 and Matthew 3, we will draw upon some brief parallels. First, in the consecration of Aaron and his sons as priests in Leviticus 8, you have the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting to witness the consecration of Aaron and his sons. And so it is also at the baptism of Jesus where we have the crowds at the Jordan who stand to witness the consecration of Christ. Aaron and his sons are anointed with oil. In this baptism, Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit. Aaron and his sons offer up a sacrifice, a burnt offering for a soothing aroma unto God. Christ in his baptism foreshadows the offering of himself as a holy sacrifice, which God affirms from heaven by saying, this is is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So in this act of congregation, in the baptism of Jesus, we observe the fulfillment of the the priesthood and all righteousness. For in the same way Moses facilitated the ceremony, to set apart Aaron and his sons for ministry, so does John the Baptist facilitate the ceremony to set Jesus apart for his ministry. And in doing so, Jesus fulfills all righteousness. It is here that Jesus declares the intentions to meet the righteous demands of God by himself undertaken to pay the debts of sinful men. We see this in Romans 8, uh, verses 3 and 4, which read, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The former priests of old could not take on the debts of sinful men, because they themselves were sinful. So the former priest like us, could never satisfy the righteous requirement of the law. Only our perfect and righteous high priest in Jesus Christ could rightly fulfill the office of priest and offer an acceptable sacrifice by way of his own blood. By his sacrifice, God the Father is utterly satisfied. That's why Jesus can can declare that all righteousness will be fulfilled because he himself is the righteous son of God. Jesus is God's righteousness revealed. Listen to Isaiah fifty-three eleven. It reads, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Now, I want to look briefly at the Messiah, our perfect and righteous high priest. And the first thing that I want to establish is the fact that Jesus was totally without sin. He was in all, reg- all in all regards. He was and is and will always be completely and perfectly righteous. So, why does Christ, who is sinless and perfectly righteous, partake in the baptism for the remission of sins? I believe Second Corinthians chapter five twenty one. Gives us insight as to why he would partake in such a ceremony. It reads, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or even Isaiah 53 12, and that he was numbered among the transgressors. So, two of the essential elements that we see at Christ's baptism is his identification with sin and sinners and his perfect righteousness. Hebrews chapter 4:15: "For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The emphasis being on sympathizing with our weaknesses and yet without sin, paralleling to his identification with sin and sinners, and yet his perfect righteousness. It is here that we get a glimpse of how Jesus is that perfect mediator on our behalf. He is tempted with sin, but never polluted by it. He maintains his righteousness perfectly in order that we may become the righteousness of God in him. And as the perfect high priest, therein lays one of the most fundamental differences between the priest of old and Jesus himself. Namely, his inherited Righteousness a righteousness that is of his very nature, a righteousness that he maintains perfectly. In the Old Testament, the men who served the priests were the ones who offered sacrifices to God on behalf of the people in order for the people and the priests themselves to be cleansed of sin. Now make note of that. There had to also be a sacrifice made for the the sins of the priests themselves. Although they acted as mediators between God and man, they too continuously needed atonement for their sin. Yet Christ, who is without sin, is able to offer himself up as the perfect sacrifice on behalf of his people. Listen to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 to 28. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son, made perfect forever. Now, to sum up Christ's consecration as high priest, this is what it means for us who trust in him. Three takeaways. One, Christ takes on the righteous demands of God so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Two, Christ being perfect and sinless takes on the burdens of our sins that we may become the righteousness of God in him. And three, Christ offers himself up as a living sacrifice appeasing the righteous wrath of God so that we may become sons and daughters of the Most High God. So, as we embrace Christ as our great high priest the recurring refrain of our hearts ought to be Jehovah Sikinu the Lord our righteousness Jeremiah 23 6b and this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness and so as we sum this up and bring it to a conclusion one For us who are in Christ, it is a glorious thing that we have a righteousness that is not of our own that we can rest in, that we can find assurance in, that we can find peace in, and we should glory in that. If if there is any of us out here who who does not know that righteousness for themselves, we see that the priests and the goats and the bulls were not able to appease God's righteous wrath. So I would say, as we take time to reflect in prayer on the righteousness of Christ, that one, as Christians, we would glory in that. And two, if we do not know Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, as our great high priest, that we would consider, how will we stand before a righteous God? How will we do that? Think on this while we take time silently to pray. It was a righteousness given to us who placed faith in him. A righteousness which justifies us, turning the the just wrath of God Almighty from ourselves and pours it out on the substitute, namely Jesus Christ himself, our sacrificial high priest. Let us take time and prayer silently and consider this Christ.